This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon, the network America relies on. You don't have to do anything different. We want you to. But if all you can do is get the bike for your child and the water bottle holder or a new computer or a chair for your office, you are making a difference every single day. And I feel like that is really exciting. You know, it's a way for people to now have a conversation within their families as well. I'm Talib Vizram, and this is World Changing Ideas, where we investigate how leading innovators are solving our most challenging issues. On today's episode, redirecting ocean-bound plastics. Just one word, plastics. In the iconic 1967 movie, The Graduate, Benjamin Braddock is told there's a great future in plastics. Since then, we've learned that's not exactly true. These days, plastics contribute to 300 million metric tons of waste in the world. In the early 2000s, our plastic waste rose more in a single decade than it had in 40 years. Now that companies have finally started to acknowledge their role in the plastic problem, due to the fact that their names are found washing ashore on plastic food wrappers and plastic bottles, they're proclaiming recycling as a solution to our problem. But their recycling promise won't cut it. That's Wellesley Brown. While working with Oceana, the largest international ocean advocacy organization, she talked about how our current system of recycling is broken. She says that's because Of the 6.9 billion tons of plastic waste generated, only 9% is actually recycled. The rest is incinerated, sent to a landfill, or ends up in our natural environment, specifically in our oceans. Everywhere you look, there are countless items packaged in plastics or stray bags floating through city streets. The reality is, plastic is everywhere. It's been found floating at the surface of the sea, washing up on the world's most remote coastlines, melting out of Arctic sea ice, and even sitting at the deepest point of the ocean floor, nearly seven miles beneath the surface. Plastic has become an unavoidable part of life, not just for us, the humans that introduce plastics to the world, but for marine life as well. So what if companies took plastic that's headed for our oceans and used it to make new products instead? say, in the chairs we sit on or the computers we use for work. That's what my guests today set out to do when they teamed up. Dune Ives is the executive director of Lonely Whale, which is an incubator that has helped launch several initiatives that address systemic pollution in our oceans. Two years ago, Lonely Whale also earned honorable mention in the education category of our World Changing Ideas Awards. Ives oversees the Next Wave Plastics initiative that assembles a group of multinational companies committed to reducing plastic waste. Some of these include IKEA, Dell, and Herman Miller. She's joined by a couple of representatives from two of those member companies, HP's Chief Sustainability and Social Impact Officer, Ellen Joukowsky, and Jane Abernethy, the Chief Sustainability Officer at HumanScale. Dune, Jane, and Ellen, thanks so much for being here. Welcome. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. So, Dune, let's start with, um, why don't you tell us a little bit about 
Lonely Whale and its objectives? Lonely Well is a nonprofit organization that is focused on bringing people closer to the world's ocean through compelling content that is solutions focused, extremely positive, and really focused on collaborations. So a lot of our work since we were founded in 2015 has been to bring together like-minded individuals, competitors in the marketplace, kids from all over the world to join forces to tackle something we believe very strongly can be solved for if we all work together, and that is plastic waste and plastic pollution in the ocean. One of the things that you've done is started this next wave consortium of companies. What was kind of the selection or admission process for member companies? Oh, we're very careful who we work with. <laughs> you have to... <laughs> Well, let me, I'll take you back in time just for a, a moment. So we call it ocean-bound plastic, the ocean-bound plastic issue in 2016, and quickly realized that there were amazing companies out there working on the plastic waste crisis in the ocean. HP and HumanScale being two of those working on it before we even met each other. And so Next Wave Plastics was launched in December 2017 with 10 companies. And these companies all had a common purpose, which was to do as, as much as they could together to not only solve for the plastic waste crisis, but also to make sure that the communities that are being impacted the most, those that we would say are on the front line or in the first mile of the plastic waste crisis are really cared for and really can achieve their goals and ambitions for their families. So we launched in 2017 with the common uh, collective impact goal of permanently removing 25,000 metric tons of plastic waste that is on its way to the ocean or has been in the ocean before but has been collected on shore as in the case of fishing gear and nets and permanently integrate that material into their products, products that will never make their way back into the ocean. Now, your second part of the question is, how did we pick the companies that became involved? Yeah. In many cases, the companies pick Next Wave. It's not every company that wants to come and sit at a table across from their competitors, like HP and Dell do and human scale and Herman Miller do. It takes a very, I think, forward looking growth mindset company and individual who is willing to do that. That's exactly the kind of person we want at the table. And it's the kind of company. These companies go through a very rigorous evaluation by our team at Lonely Well, but also by each other. So while we can recommend companies to become members of Next Way Plastics, ultimately, it's up to the companies who are sitting around the table to also make that determination to make sure that they're sitting at a table with companies that they believe in, not only are doing what they should on plastic, but also across all walks of sustainability issues that these companies are dealing with on behalf of communities all across the world. Well, that's a really interesting point. So let me ask Jane and Ellen, why did you want to be part of, of Next Wave rather than continuing sustainability initiatives kind of separately at, at your respective companies? I know from a human scale's point of view, we were really excited to show that we could use ocean plastic in our products. But we also recognize that even if we use only ocean plastic in all of our products, you know, we're not going to solve the problem on our own. The most exciting part was to show that it's possible so that we can inspire others to also do the same thing and to, to also take on this challenge of starting to use this material. And only when we really scale up, it becomes a, a more common resource for all manufacturers to use. And, and we look at it like a resource that we would source as we would 
any other material and becomes very normal to use, that's when we'll start to see a real difference because of manufacturers using this material. And for HP, I would say back in 2016, when we started our own ocean-bound plastic projects of trying to incorporate plastic bottles into our ink cartridges. We had already been using plastic bottles in our ink cartridges for over 15 years, but now we decided in terms of being able to create a more environmental and social impact, we could align with initiatives around ocean-bound plastic source in our case out of Haiti. So change our procurement location instead of buying those plastic bottles. And we use over a million plastic bottles a day in our process to make HP ink cartridges, we could source them from a location like Haiti where there's no municipal garbage collection, helping to stop that plastic waste from going into the ocean, instead upcycling it into HP products. So when we we set out to do that, we spent several years working with some key strategic suppliers in Haiti to build up those capabilities. And we hit a point where we were able to be successful. So when we started talking with NextWave, there were three kind of key things that we were thinking about. One was continue to learn. So other companies like HP were also in the process of building their ocean-bound plastic supply chain so we can learn from them. And those learnings could help us strengthen what we were trying to do. The second is to share. So we'd certainly learned quite a bit of what it took to set up a stable, successful supply chain, one that was built with an economic model to ensure that we're paying a livable wage, for example, to the plastic collectors. So thinking about not just the environmental, but the social impact as well. And then the third word, which Jane just mentioned, scale. So how could we leverage the power of Next Wave to really scale our own operation, to start looking at other locations as well, to find existing members and new members who could also be interested in sourcing from the supply chain that we'd already started to build. Great. And I do want to come back to the Haiti supply chain. But first, let me go back to Dune and ask, what does this idea of intercepting ocean-bound plastics look like, kind of logistically? Is it each up to each company to do it their own way? You know, how, how do you go about it? So every company that we work with is either working diligently to build, not their own, but build a supply chain within a community like HP has done in Haiti and Dell has done in Indonesia and Interface Carpets has done in places like the Philippines. So building a supply chain or they are sourcing from those supply chains or sourcing from other supply chains that have already gotten started, but they're expanding collection to intercept more of this material than they would have had the capacity for if a company that's part of Next Wave Plastics had not come forward and said, this is material we'd like. Mm -hmm. um, and so we're willing to pay for it and help support development of the supply chain. These companies build supply chains all the time. This is not something they just woke up and like, oh, I know what we're going to do. We've never done it before, but we're going to build an ocean-bound plastic supply chain. So they know how to do it. I think what is unique about ocean-bound plastics is now you are interacting with community members because of where this material is located and how it is distributed across the community at large and who is involved in the collection it does take additional care and stewardship to make sure that the way in which you're creating the supply chain is with the community. It's not for the community, but you're doing so in a way that's really respectful of their cultural heritage. It's really respectful of their needs, the way that they define them. It is resonant with international labor policies and expectations that the global community has about how humans, we are all humans, are going to be treated up and down the supply chain. 
But it is unique when you go from a place like Haiti to Indonesia to very different cultures with very different geopolitical situations, with very different natural disasters. You have to be really mindful of that. And then when you start working with fishing communities, as human scale and interface have done, well, that's a very different social context that now you're working in as well. And so really understanding first and foremost, whether or not as a company, you have all the resources you need to be successful on behalf of and with that community is critical. And that's really the power of this consortium is to create a forum where that insight and that experience can be shared and we can really grow together. Well, yeah, that's a really good point. And you you also mentioned natural disasters. Uh, you know, Ellen, how kind of robust is the supply chain? I'm thinking of the recent Haiti earthquake. You know, was it able to to withstand the earthquake and still continue operations? Yeah. So, you know, when we chose Haiti as our location in 2016, they had weathered the earthquake in 2010, you know, and experienced significant devastation across the island. They are certainly a target for many hurricanes, each hurricane season, tropical storms. It is the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere. So it is an incredibly complex location to select as a key part of your supply chain, knowing all of the risks. But with that risk comes significant opportunity. So with the recent earthquake that just happened, our recycling facility located in Port-au-Prince weathered it very, very well. We had just moved it to a new location that was built to withstand significant earthquakes as well as hurricanes and, and other forms of natural disasters. The facility itself was fine, able to operate the very next day. More importantly, all of the workers in the factory reported very minor injuries, both to themselves, their family, as well as their homes. Fortunately, some of our plastic collectors who are located more closely to the epicenter of the earthquake in Les Cais, there were more significant impacts there. Some of their homes were completely destroyed. Some of their family members had fatalities. So again, this is the reality of this particular location. And in terms of response, we were able to work with our partners that we have in Haiti, First Mile and Work, an NGO that we work very closely with that, that serves the needs of our plastic collectors. We were able to mobilize 15,000 pounds of medical supplies through partnership with UPS, transport all of those supplies directly down to the, the epicenter so that our plastic collectors could get that access to those supplies that they need. Work sent in a team immediately to Les Kais to help assess and then administer help to the collectors. And then the HP Foundation also made a significant donation to several NGO partners down there. Amazing. You know, I'd also love to get an idea of the creative process in designing products with these plastics. Jane, would you kind of take us through how you designed the Smart Ocean and, and Liberty Ocean chairs? Yeah, and that's the question I get kind of often. It might help because I have my background as I was an industrial designer for a decade before focusing on sustainability. I have to say it's not as different as you might think. So when you're designing a product, you're going to be considering the properties of the material for every material you're going to be working with. And these were two chairs that existed, were designed and developed in the marketplace. We then, after they'd been you know, launched and in the marketplace for a number of years, we then changed the source of where we get that plastic from. So if you can picture, it's not that we had to redesign the product. Uh, in fact, there was no you know, change to any of the components. It's really where we get, we're getting the material from that was the major change. And that's one thing Dune had, has mentioned as well, is that 
looking at this material differently is kind of a culture change. It's a human change. It's asking a lot of people to think about things differently and approach things differently. And instead of saying, let's just find the best price, let's find who has the best on-time delivery, and that's it. It's really a very different set of considerations. It's a much deeper set of considerations. It's a much deeper commitment to that supplier and that supply chain, and then also to that local community. So the level of consideration is no longer just, can they deliver the material? Does the material perform as it's supposed to? What does it cost? You know, end of conversation. It's many, many more conversations that dig into like, how are they capturing the material? Where are they getting it from? How are they being responsible? And then digging into those levels that can to see where they're getting it from and, and try to see firsthand where it's coming from, starting to see what's happening in the local communities. Is it being, a, is it a benefit for those communities? Are the folks who are gathering it back paid a living wage? These types of considerations are not standard for how a supply chain normally operates. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's, there seems to be a lot of factors, like you mentioned. It, it, do you think that's why the majority of companies haven't considered doing this so far? I think so. It does ask people to think about things differently and not, you know, just go with the status quo, not continue to operate as business as usual. And I think that was one thing we were really excited about, as I mentioned, is that laying the groundwork to show that it's possible. When we were starting, to be quite frank, we didn't necessarily know if it was going to work out for us. So we're pushing on it and hoping that they were going to be able to bring a product out to market and hoping that the material will work, hoping that it will be reliable. We had a lot of hiccups and situations and times when, you know, we had complications and we didn't always have material exactly when we needed it. But showing that example that it's possible, like the exciting part, as I mentioned, is not just us using the materials, really to show that it's systematically possible to do it and then inspire others to do it is, is a very big part of what we're also excited about. And Ellen, you know, similarly, what goes into the design and, and manufacturing process of, I, I think, the world's first laptop made out of ocean-bound plastics? Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, we started this process focusing on the HP ink cartridge. So that was the very first product that we used ocean-bound plastic in. And, you know, kind of HP being a competitive company internally, our design community, you know, really always looking at the next advances. Our team in personal systems, our PC division, heard about what was happening on the print side of the house, and they wanted to get in the game. So they started challenging themselves. How could they use ocean-bound plastic to make HP PC products? So we ended up with innovations like the first desktop, the first notebook, the first display monitor, the first workstation, the first Chromebook, now using ocean-bound plastic. HP has over 50 products that use ocean-bound plastic now across our portfolio, and we're going to continue to scale. We announced uh, earlier uh, this week our new ZBook workstations. And with that advancement of the ZBooks now using ocean-bound plastic, they're using it in a new part, the fan of the desktop. And when you start thinking about the complexity of a fan, you know, it needs to be very, very quiet, right? Especially in these days of more zooming around, you need to have, you know, clear audio quality from wherever you're working. So it needs to be quiet. It needs to be strong. It needs to be durable. It needs to, you know, last multiple years and perhaps even, you know, be a component that we can reuse in uh, laptops and desktops that are sent back to us and we can, we can use it in, in new products. So I think it takes you know, a lot of different components of, of being open to learning from 
from what we've established earlier with some of the breakthroughs, spending time with other next wave design engineers to learn about what's worked in the parts that they're working on. For example, at human scale, you know, the functionality of a part you need for a chair is certainly quite different, but there are some learnings there that we can take. So I think being very open to that, but at the bottom line is that determination to make it happen and to stick with the process. This episode of World Changing Ideas is brought to you by Verizon the network you can rely on for your phone and for your home internet. Find the plan that's right for you at verizon.com. Yeah, what you were saying about computer fans, I can definitely relate to that. It's always my uh, greatest fear that my computer's going to conk out in the middle of like this. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully if you have an HP, that should not happen. And uh, we're particularly proud again of the new ocean-bound plastic fans that we're creating. We, we put our full confidence behind them. Very cool. You know, uh, Duna, I'd, I'd love to hit on something that Jane mentioned, which is this idea that part of the aim is to share ideas and show other companies or other organizations they can do something similar. Is that the goal of scaling this or do you want to bring on more companies into next wave? Great question. When we started in 2017 thinking about well, which companies would be amazing to work with, we wanted to make sure that we had global distribution of the companies. It allows us to think, I think, a little bit more expansively about this network of ocean non-plastic suppliers that we've been creating. You mentioned earlier Haiti and natural disasters. Well, you know, not only was there civil unrest and then the global pandemic, and then there's the earthquake, and then there's the hurricane. We experienced that um, several years before in Indonesia as well. So for companies like those that are part of Next Wave Plastics, it's really important to make sure that we have continuity in supply. And that gives these companies assurance that let's say for some reason, God forbid, right, the supply chain in Haiti just, it just shuts down and we can't get that material out. That doesn't mean that HP stops producing their products but they want to make sure that they can continue to deliver on that brand value promise they're giving to customers. And so where else can we get that material from? Well, maybe we get that material from Denmark, from a supplier up in Denmark. I mean, who would think that we can get ocean-bound plastic, HDPE and polypropylene out of Denmark, but we can, right? And so we, I think we tend to think that this ocean-bound plastic crisis is only, you know, five countries and 10 rivers. And the fact is, is that it's everywhere, right? So we got yeah. to cast that aside. It's, it's all of our issues and it's everywhere. So more companies that are headquartered in places like mainland Europe and Asia allow us to build more supply chains closer to where they are located so we can decrease that distance as well from where the supply is to where it needs to get to. None of us want to increase our carbon footprints as a result of this work that we're doing either. And so these companies are being really mindful of how do you balance all of this, right? So more companies give us access to more supply chains that are closer to manufacturing facilities where those companies are headquartered. The other thing that we also look at though with bringing more companies into this consortium is that every company reaches a, a slightly different customer. I would love to see our list of companies grow to include companies whose customer bases fill specific gaps, age gaps, gender gaps. You know, we're very judicious about who comes to the table. Yeah. Um, it is a family. 
<laughs> and so in a way, it's like we're interviewing our next son-in-law, <laughs> the next <laughs> member of the family, um, because these relationships have really grown and developed over the last four years. And everyone is really committed to having these you know, very open, collaborative discussions with each other. Do you have any companies in mind that you'd love to bring on as as your next son-in-law, maybe they're listening. Maybe you <laughs> bring them in. <laughs> I do. I do. You know who you are if you're listening to this because I've been talking <laughs> you for the last couple of years. Um, I'm from Alaska. I'm from Fairbanks, Alaska, and um, I'm a huge like hometown hero kind of girl. Yeah. <laughs> so there was this brand in particular that my father used to wear all the time, and this is the company that we're now talking to. And I was like, oh my gosh, like yes, we have to do that just because wow. I have like this. You know, it just harkens back to childhood memories. And, but yeah, there's a number of companies we're in continued communications with. And some of those too are like um, companies that are not necessarily providing products that customers buy. They're actually looking at, you know, totes and, and pallets and things that, you know, they're not very sexy and you're not going to see them, but they could use a lot of ocean bound plastic in mm. the manufacturing of new ones. So yeah, really excited. Yeah, exciting. And clearly, the impact has been noticed. In March, Next Wave won a UN SDG Action Award. Um, part of the mission of the Sustainable Development Goals is to help spur citizen engagement and affect positive change. Can you kind of give some examples of, of what Next Wave has done to engage ordinary citizens in, in this project? What's really great about what Next Wave does is it allows people, everyday people, everyday humans, citizens of the world to know that the choices that they make are making a difference. So for example, if you are going to go and buy a new bicycle and you have a choice between two different companies and you know one company, even though they don't have to, right? Because tires don't actually do very good on water. <laughs> on land. Famously. Right? <laughs> like a shocker. But you have a choice between two companies, one of whom is solving for this plastic waste crisis in the part of the world you know, that many of us have actually never been to, um, and one that's not. And you know that every single water bottle cage, every grip, every fender, helmets, the clothing that you could purchase from this company, every time you purchase, you are working to keep plastic out of the ocean. You're probably going to choose that company if that matters to you. So that's one of the things that Next Wave Plastics does with all these consumer facing and even the B2B companies that we work with is they are giving you something you can do today. You don't have to do anything different. We want you to, but if all you can do is get the bike for your child and the water bottle holder or a new computer or a chair for your office to get off your couch still during the pandemic work from home, you are making a difference every single day. And I feel like that is really exciting you know, it's a way for people to now have a conversation within their families as well. But I would love to hear from Jane and Ellen as well, how their companies are really, you know, getting their customers and their employees really engaged in this. It's a good reflection of our vision for sustainability internally. So where we stand for human scale, what we are aiming for in sustainability is to leave the world better off as a manufacturer. Uh, we were excited this past June to announce that 60% of our products are now climate positive, water positive, energy positive, and toxin free. Um, and that's something we were excited to share with our community. The other part of it, though, is the abstract for folks to picture, you know, a, a task chair being climate positive. And what does that look like? And climate has, you know, a lot of calculations behind it and certification. 
but it's hard for people to picture and practice what that means. So the conversation around ocean plastic has really brought that vision into something very tangible where we can say we're aiming to leave the world better off as a manufacturer. You can picture every time you purchase this chair, for us, when we're making the components, we don't mix them in with um, virgin material. It is pure ocean plastic. Like all the plastic that is going into those components is ocean plastic. So we know exactly how much there is in each chair. So every time you purchase this chair, we would need almost two pounds of ocean plastic to make that chair. The ocean is getting cleaned up by almost two pounds of plastic every time that chair is made. Yeah. And at HP, I would say we've now this year for the very first time changed our performance management system and created an opportunity for every single HP employee, all 55,000 HP employees to set a sustainable impact goal as part of their performance management plan, as part of their their annual objectives. And the uptick, uh, the excitement, the energy of, you know, bringing that additional purpose when you come to work at HP has been incredible. Um, how that translates to all of our customers, of course, you know, it, it shines through. It shines through in our sales process now with stronger stories to tell about the impact our customers can have when they purchase HP products, helping us to, to drive towards a more sustainable and circular uh, economy. So it's clear that when we are driving these really important changes across the company, you know, true transformation is what it's going to take for us to get to the very ambitious goals that we've set for our company. We need everybody's help. We need next wave's help. We need human skills help. We need others within our industry to really drive the change that we know we need as humans to make uh, the difference that is upon us. Amazing. Well, really, really inspiring uh, actions all around, but but still kind of concerning when you think about, you know, the amount of plastic there is heading to the ocean to be able to do something like this. So I really think, like you said, something for all of us to think about. Thanks so much um, to all of you for, for joining us. This has been great. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. It was wonderful. Likewise, dude. Likewise. So this is clearly a climate initiative, but it's not just a climate initiative. And I think that's that's why it's so special. I think this is really about social responsibility. It's a humanitarian endeavor, really. Like we talked about, every part of the supply chain is not just a part of the supply chain. It's a human being, or it's many human beings kind of involved in each part of the process. And it, of course, it has the end goal of intercepting all the ocean plastics that that would otherwise end up in the ocean. You know, I heard by 2050 that there will be more plastic by volume than fish in the ocean if we're consistent with the way we're going right now. And it's cool to see that we can innovate new products like a laptop fan from ocean plastics. I mean, that's that's pretty kind of intricate and impressive. That's it for our show today. Join us next time to learn more about the innovative leaders seeking to make a difference in our ever-changing world. Please give us a rating or review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Talib Bizram. Our show is produced and edited by Avery Miles.